So tonight, as um, Ben said, um, which our topic is intimacy, but I want to make sure that we're connecting with that topic however it connects with us. So I've got two big pictures that I want to bring to you, and then we're going to have a little bit of chatting time at the end to see if they land in, in a place that's helpful. Does that all make sense? We're good with that? Too bad if you're not. I've got the microphone. That's what we're doing. So, but I just wanted to seem like I was, you know, <laughs> bringing you along with me. Um, but... Intimacy. So the, the, the number one, like all of us as humanity, made in the image of God, our number one need is intimacy because that is how we are wired. So before the fall, the idea was that our, our, that need for intimacy would be fully satiated by our relationship with God. That, and you look in, if you read the Bible, Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden, they knew God in such a way that they were completely satisfied in him. And so then sin entered and all this sort of brokenness and fracturedness and, and things kind of came as part of that. But the, the need didn't change, just how we started looking to meet it did. So now we have all these various ways that we're trying to fill this same need that we have for intimacy. Now, my definition of intimacy is to be fully known and fully loved. And when I say fully, I sound like I'm like fully sick, right? So it's fully known, fully loved, and fully sick. So <laughs> that's what intimacy is. But, but that's the cry of every heart, and literally everything we do is driven by that need. So our need to succeed, our need to be happy, our desire to feel like we're... Um, achieving or winning in any, any sort of way, everything we do is driven by this desire we have to be fully known and fully loved. And so there's a, a story in the Bible, John chapter 4, um, if you've got something to follow along with, you can, from verse 7, and it's where Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. For some of you, this may be a really familiar um, passage, but let me just read through it quite um, snappily, and then I'll draw out a few points. So a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? A drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are the prophet. And then skip down to verse 26. Jesus declared, I who speak to you... And he. So in, in this picture, the woman at the well was seeking, a, she was seeking to, to um, she was, sorry, start again. The woman at the well was there in the middle of the day trying to get water. Now, in the middle of the day, in that part of the world, nobody was out doing anything, let alone trying to get water, right? So we know something about who she was 
because um, she, was, she was doing that at a time when no one else would be at the well. So this is a woman who we understand to live with a deep sense of shame and possibly rejection from the majority of the people who were in her community. And we get a sense of why that is, because Jesus says, you know, you've had five husbands and the person you're living with now is not. Now, I mean, that in any culture is not something that we would consider to be normal behavior or, or you know, that wouldn't raise a few eyebrows. But back in that day, that was definitely something of shame. Scholars will actually um, have, have suggested that she was possibly um, infertile, and that was part of why she had been married so many times, because it was an okay thing for a husband to reject a wife on the basis of her not being able to give her children. And so that would just be another layer of shame, right? So this woman's out at the well, heat of the day, getting water, and is a, a woman who is clearly broken, <laughs> and has intense need, um, you know, for an, and is seeking to fill that need with relationship with other people, with men. And Jesus comes to her and says, you know, that um, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Now, you can imagine that. It's just like, this is sort of weird. Like, this was before taps were invented, guys. Like, um, you know, water was not a never-ending source. It's like, how can you even talk like this? And of course, as we unpack that some more, we understand he wasn't actually then talking about water. He was using that as an illustration, essentially, of her thirst for intimacy, And he says to her, everywhere you're searching to satiate that thirst, you're going to have to need to keep getting more and keep getting more. But I am the source. I am the water. I am the answer to your need for intimacy that will fill you in a way that will continually fill you. And not only fill you, but it will be such a, it'll well up in such a way that it'll overflow and you can fill others from that well right? A completely different picture. Later in scripture, Jesus talks about a similar kind of illustration where he says he's the bread of life and anyone who comes to him will never go hungry and he who believes will never be thirsty. So it's using these illustrations of physical needs to reflect on a heart need and and to speak into the fact that Jesus is the only one who can fill that heart need. Now here's... um, my little illustration about what that looks like, right? So hopefully you can kind of see here. So this is you, or me, or humanity, right? This is our our need for intimacy, our need for love, acceptance, value, belonging, all the things that we crave as humanity. Now, what what we understand of what Jesus is telling us here is that there are places and other ways that we look to have this filled. So it could be relationship with our family, that that, that their love would top us up. It could be relationship with other friends or or, people around us, that could top us up. It could be um, a more of a romantic relationship with um, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. That, that could top us up a little bit. But the reality is that the people around us, they're only so full. They've only got so much to give. And then also, in our brokenness, to start with, it evaporates. So we're just going to stand here for a couple of hours and just let that illustrate itself. Okay, just pretend that happened. Um, and then, but also, in our brokenness, we spill, we tip right? We tip. We experience failure, rejection, hurt, and it's like that all that has filled us kind of spills out. Like that's the reality of the human experience, is that we bump into stuff that knocks us enough to to spill, right? But what Jesus is saying, Jesus, 
Okay, but you have to imagine, like if this was like, you know, if we were some billion dollar organization with a massive prop department, we'd have a hose, right? And we'd have a way of representing that this is never ending, because like, Jesus isn't a jug that is finite, right? He's what he offers. But the thing is that he says, I can, I can fill you in such a way that you'll never be thirsty and you will actually overflow. Now, if you imagine Jesus is filling us, and I've just got to watch the lip on the thing, but he fills us to overflowing. This is still pouring. Now, my relationship with other people, that's great. I appreciate their input, right? It's, isn't it great to have friends and family who care for you, right? But I'm not so thirsty that I'm needing that to fill me, right? And because here's the thing that happens. When you are thirsty, you will drink anything. Now, I, am a, I love Diet Coke. I just have to say it. I love Diet Coke. You know how I don't have favourites? I have favourites of, of soft drink, and it's Diet Coke. And I don't care if Pepsi hears me. I don't care. I do a little bit. Sorry, Pepsi. But I like Diet Coke. Now, if you offer me, you know when you go to restaurants now and you say, I'll have a Diet Coke. They're like, oh, sure, we've got Coke, no sugar. I'm like, no, that, no, I'm right, thanks. I'll drink water. Like, literally, that's what I'll say, because I like Diet Coke. I'm just like that. I buy my own Coke, Diet Coke in the airport now because they don't serve it on planes anymore. They serve Coke, no sugar, and I don't want that. So I take it with me. Now, so you can offer me any other kind of soft drink, any other kind of um, cola drink, any other diet, cola, whatever, and I don't want it. I Thank you. I drink Diet Coke. Except if I'm really thirsty... And suddenly, I'm a little less discerning. I did a mission trip to Ethiopia. They don't do diet, Coke drink, diet drinks there. What they do is Fanta that is so orange, it like turns your face orange. So I can only imagine what's happening on my insides. But, but the, the soft drink there is better than the water quality. You know, this is 10 years ago when I was there, right? So I'm thirsty. Bring me the insanely orange Fanta, right? My, when, I, when you are thirsty, your discernment drops, and your choice, the, the decisions that you make change. When you are thirsty, it's like if you hear stories, I mean, um, Madagascar, you know when the, the river gets dammed and the thing's dry and they're like licking the sand, trying to get water out of it. Or you hear stories who, of people who are trapped in um, you know, landslides or in various sort of um, natural disaster type experiences, they will drink their own urine. You know, as a, because when you are thirsty, you'll drink anything. Right? But when you are satisfied, when you are filled, then you start to get a little bit more choosy about what it is that you'll drink of. All right? And that's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you drink from me, I will, give you, I will fill you in such a way that you are completely satisfied and you don't need to go to unhealthy or un unhelpful places for your source. You'll be so full that not only will you be full for yourself, you'll full overflow to other people. And then it's like, can we be friends? Awesome. Can we, is this a healthy, God-honoring relationship we can have? Fabulous. I don't, I'm not desperate for you to fill up my tank, my, my, my heart, my soul. Does that make sense? It's a good picture, isn't it? So relationships we have out of a place of fullness can be incredibly healthy. But it's often in our place of weakness and our place of emptiness that we can make some really poor choices and we find ourselves orienting ourselves around that need and that can really position us vulnerably. So that's 
position, that's picture number one that I want us to consider in context to this picture or this idea of intimacy, what it means to first and foremost be filled with the love of God in such a way that we become discerning drinkers, right? Don't hashtag that. <laughs> what do you learn about tonight at church? How to drink well. Okay. Melbourne, those people are so weird. Okay, I have another illustration for you. I'm not sure if I can see it on the back there, but maybe I can turn here. This is what I call the corn chip of love. Do you remember the, um, do you remember the food pyramid? I think, we, I think we use something else nowadays. But you know when it's like down the bottom, it's eat more, eat most, eat le- sometimes eat least, least, you know, that kind of vibe? Well, this is like the love equivalent of the dietary pyramid, okay? It's the, this is the love corn chip. Now, um, you can see there that there's three kinds of love, and these, I mean, there's kind of a few other nuanced loves, but there's three types of love that are referenced in Scripture. And the first is agape love. And this is the love, or what we would say, the love of the will. In that text there, 1 John 4, 7, 8, it says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. Now, every time the word love is used in that sentence, and those sentences, it's the word agape. And it's always the word that is used of God's love towards us, because it's a love of choice. It's not, he, he loves us because of all the good things we do for him or because there's sort of some mutuality in that relationship. He just loves us because we are his kids and he made us and he loves us. So that's what agape love is. And this is sort of the, um, the bottom of the, the food pyramid, which is the eat most, you know, the experience most, because this is the kind of love when we're instructed to love one another, mostly it's this love. When we read Corinthians at our wedding about love is kind and love is patient, those things, it's this kind of love. All right, when we, um, you know, all, the vast majority of the times, in fact, that the word love is mentioned or translated into the English word love, it comes from this word agape. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, for God so agape loved the world. Okay, so this is, this, and this is to, intended for us to, to experience at its most and fullest, and that's what God desires for us. The next level is what's called phileo love. Um, This is a relational love. This is love exchanged and entered into by mutual agreement. It's the love that exists within families or friendships um, with varying degrees of health. But, you know, if you think of the number of people in your family or the people that you would call friends um, out of all the people you know, like this is, this is kind of the, the section and possibly it would actually even be smaller. Like of the billions of people on the planet that we're called to love, agape, the phileo section is those that we're called to love relationally. So it's only a fairly small kind of chunk. But the significant thing to note is that underlying that phileo love, that friendship love, the, the foundation and the, the, um, the, you know, that's providing a foundation for the expressions of that love and the, is what? Agape love, right? So friends are like this kind of special kind of love that's built on this foundation of the fact that God loves us and calls us to love in a certain kind of way. Um, and the, the key to any great relationship is that we are actually practicing agape love 
which is I choose to love you despite, right? I choose to love you if you give me nothing back. I choose to love you even if you're kind of acting in unlovable ways. And then finally, at the, the tip of the pyramid, the smallest section is eros love. And this is romantic love or sensual love. This is where love finds its physical or sexual expression. And what we notice is that underlying the physical, romantic, sexual love is a love of friendship, phileo love, which is based on agape love. Right? This is the love courtship as God intends us to love and be love. You know, and in God's economy, you note that the eros section is the smallest, and it possibly could even be smaller, because essentially it's, um, it's especially in its sexual expression, is designed only to be just one person. You know, male and, and female covenanted together for life to experience and express that. And um, people, you know, remarry, and God makes provision for that. Like, there's a whole lot of, you know, stuff that we experience, as I said, in our brokenness. But this God's design is that our love experience would look like this, and our relationship experience would look like this. But here's what the world, here's what we in our brokenness, like, because when I say the world, I mean, like, brokenness in us as well as as we see expressed outside us in the, in the community, is that we flipped it completely upside down, right? Completely upside down. And so what has happened is that, that we see love as all sexual and all physical and romantic, that eros is actually the foundation of our relationships, you know, that, um, that through that, people are actually trying to, like, they, so they start at the top, you know, and want to experience this massive sort of amount, like the, the fire and the attraction and all those things that, that make me love you or make me feel those feelings in response. And then, um, and then it's this sort of desire for a more relational friendship kind of getting to know you kind of love. And then underneath that is this expectation that we're going to have this strength of, of love of the will, you know, that somehow in that we're going to be there for, through thick and thin and all that kind of stuff. But as you can see, the way that we manage that, that agape love is still the foundation, but you, that's like a very teetering kind of thing. It's no longer a very secure kind of um, arrangement, right? It's, it's very easily toppled, and that is our common experience. And that's, you know, the, there's just an absolute devastation of sexual brokenness and relational brokenness that comes when the intimacy that we so crave, so we've gone seeking it, you know, in that, that romantic, intimate kind of um, expression, is, has um, not had a strong enough foundation to sustain, and we find ourselves broken and needy and looking again to experience that. So the thing is that, that, you know, in sexual brokenness and abuse and rejection and wounding and dysfunction, it all comes when people are trying to enter relationship through the eros kind of love and then hoping that somehow it finds its way to something really secure and stable rather than this love of the will, this love of choice, this agape love that God calls us to love being the foundation for establishing then healthy friendship-type relationships, which is the foundation for experiencing and expressing the most intimate of loves. Now, these two pictures, I think, hopefully, are both powerfully sort of illustrating why it is that we experience such brokenness all the time. 
And this might express itself in all kinds of ways for you. Relationally and sexually, it could express itself in addiction, um, pornography, uh, your really unhealthy relationships. Um, I meet with people just way too many times who have found themselves in unhealthy relationships because their need for intimacy has driven them past their discernment you know, that we talked about. They're so thirsty that they've just latched onto the, the next, you know, living, breathing person rather than being discerning in how it is that they've, they've sought out relationship or even how it is that they've established the kind of relationship that they want. For me, um, I'm the child of divorce. My dad left our family when I was only 11 and you, the, all the research is still, you know, being um, understood and unpacked around the impact of a broken relationship for a daughter with her dad. Like, it's just, it's very, very significant. And we've restored that to a, a, a degree now. We experience a really good relationship. But as an 11-year-old, my understanding of who I was, you know, was completely shattered. And my understanding of what love looked like was really broken and distorted because the person that I was, you know, that's meant to love you, he has chosen to leave. So everything is now up for grabs, right? Nothing is certain. And so for me, it looked like relationship. It looked like, um, it's, I don't say this out of pride, just out of humour, that I could like flirt for Australia, like gold medal, you know, standard, because I was so desperate for the affirmation. I didn't need anything else after that. Like I just needed to know that I was lovable. I didn't need anything else from them. But then keep fast-forwarding, and I ended up in a relationship that was sort of the holy grail for a broken person in terms of what was being spoken into me of my value and worth by that person. But it positioned me to enter a marriage in a ridiculously vulnerable place because I was so thirsty. And so, and he was the source, and that's a really unhealthy place to be. And for those of you who are here this morning, you heard that that marriage didn't last, and now this is where I find myself in the, a different part of my story, and, and understanding all of that if, through a different um, lens. I wish I could kind of go back to 15-year-old me and have a few chats. So, Kim, it's like you were a glass, you know, like, and to sort of talk myself through this, um, it would change it. So that's why I'm telling you, it's like you were a glass, like, and maybe that's a really powerful word, actually, for some of you here tonight, that, it, you know, you, that you're at the front end of that experience and you've been broken by relational sort of dysfunction and things that have happened in your life. As I said, it could turn itself out into bad relationship. It could turn it, it could express itself through addiction. Um, a lot of our, our sexual addiction, pornography, the issues that we're seeing that are just rampant across our society right now, you know, spring, they spring from this. But even addiction to otherwise healthy things, to exercise, body image, you know, um, success, academic performance, like all of these things, if they are being fed by our desire to be affirmed and feel that need for intimacy, we're doing what we need to do to please this cup. <laughs> like, you know, I'll keep performing however I need to perform for you to give me a little drip of something. And it, re it orients everything we do around that. Instead of just saying, I start from a place of fullness in Christ because of who he says I am, about what he is willing to do for me in terms of his, his expression of love dying on the cross and being um, ready to take my place in paying that price, that that's going to be my source. And so it's going to totally change how I look to other relationships and to, um, to other things in terms of where they fit. So two pictures. And I wonder if now it might just like, so while you're just processing cup of intimacy and corn chip of love. 
Um, chat to the person next to you, have a think, write something down. What comes to mind? And I think Ben's going to sort of facilitate a bit of a question time because I want to just make sure this lands in a, help, in a helpful place. I'm sure if you, you don't want to like be the one who announces your question, we can work out a way for Ben to get a secret note and he can read that. But, um, but we'd just love to actually see this find some roots in your, in your life in terms of its helpfulness to you. So have a chat, have a think, have a write, have a pray, do what you need to do, just a 30-second kind of break for those people who need to and then we're going to do some question time. Cool? Yes. Good. Go. If you have a question that you would think might even be helpful for other people, maybe other people are wondering the same thing, um, then, yeah, maybe just pop up your hand and we'll have a bit of a run around with the mic. Awesome. Start with Gray. So now that there's a question over there, can we make sure the other one's over there? Because we just want yep. Ben to run. Blaine's okay? on the So just be ready. Up somewhere the really far over there. Mm. Hi, Kim. Hi. Hi. Um, you obviously have your intimacy with Christ fulfilled today, and you said that you've had a marriage that... How are you... Do you are you insatiable for any other future marriage or relationship yep. other than the one that you have yep. crossed. Yeah, for sure. Like I would um, <laughs> public announce. Gray, Gray's married, by the way. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, it's not, it's not, he's like, not, it's not wondering a moment. for himself. Yeah. No, but it is, this is, this is, ba I need to tell you guys, this is basically my mum's dream come true, that I would stand on a stage of a large room of people and announce that I am single and available and <laughs> call me later. No, um, I, I do... Um, I do desire that, like, and and I and I don't like. Um, I don't think God asks us to rely on Him and in like live in a void of human relationship. And I think in a lot of ways, what He fills us with often comes through community and relationship with other people. Anyway, so um, it, it's I mean within your family, like within friendships, within romantic relationships, within relationships of any, every expression. God shows him, like, that's him loving us, is to bring us that. I think it's really key for um, single people particularly to, and I, I mean, this is a, a, true for everybody, but um, is to understand our need for physical intimacy because that is, we are wired, biologically wired that way for sexual expression and also for, um, for human touch. And so it's one of those things that I always say to, when I'm speaking, you know, in this context of singleness, is we need to manage that need or it will manage us. It's not a, a need that can be just shut down and ignored. So um, for me personally, I have, um, like, I would say that physical touch is my love language. And so that becomes a, a challenge as a, as a single person. But um, I have a little friend, her name's Jemima. She started this when she was like four or five. She's now 11. But she was hugging me one time. And she's one of those people that does the like leg around armor. You know, like those monkeys that the Velcro hands? Like she's like that when she hugs you. And, um, and she was giving me one of her squeezes, and I just said to her, oh, mommy, I, lo I love your hugs. And she kind of pulled back, was like, ah, you know, like, what's the big deal? It's just a hug. I was like, look, there's no one at my house, like, to give me hugs. And so when I see you, probably it's the only hug I get that day or even that week, you know. And so I said, it's kind of like you're filling up my hug tank, is what I said. Mission accepted. <laughs> she is still the captain of my hug tank, and she will 
push you over on the way to filling. She's like, excuse me, just got to go hug Kim. Like, because she knows that the thing, and if I'm, well, like I was doing mission trips overseas, and so then she worked out that I'd be giving away hugs, and so maybe now we need like a secondary tank, and then there's this like holiday tank, and there's a whole thing that is, like it's a system. Um, she recruits her brother and sister into helping sometimes because it's a big job for one person and all this sort of stuff. Like, there's a big story that goes with it. But it's, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement that these places, you know, I've got a, a big dad and three big brothers and I'm kind of like, I will let you know when these hugs need to finish. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, no, we're not done yet. Stay, stay. Um, but even, I mentioned this morning about just as a person living alone, I can go for days without bumping into a physical, like having any contact, not even, you know, intimate kind of contact. But so I even manage that, like I get my nails done or my hair done, and I receive that as a, as a sense of, of just being, you know, known and, and experiencing um, the world. So I think, um, yes, the answer is I do desire... Um, I would love to be married. I would love um, that still to be part of my story. But um, the, and, and I don't think the desire for marriage is ungodly, you know, because we're not meant to be alone. That's, that's, you know, God says that to humanity. It's like it doesn't work for people to be alone. Um, but I think there is that, um, that need to, ex- I want to be the healthiest I am. So if I do experience relationship, it's going to be two healthy people who are filled coming together and just like power couple is just going to like watch it. You'll know when it happens because like the whole world will just like tilt on its axis. Like it's like, oh, Kim must have found a partner. That's, that's what you'll know. So just watch the skies. <laughs> that's so bad. Oh, that's good. Good job. Thank you for making a run. Thanks for running, Ben. Um, I have a bit of a practical question. You've um, alluded to the fact that you came out of a bit of a negative relationship and prior to that relationship you felt the need to be satisfied from a relationship. Post that relationship, did you automatically go to the Bible? Because I feel like the answer is no. But like practically, how do you move from being someone who gets so much fulfilment from the outside being extroverted, like you said, to then having that internal time? Because filling up your tank of Jesus is not an external thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good, and and as you say, like it's not sort of. And then I opened the Bible, and I was just completely sad about. You know, like that's it doesn't. Um, I mean, that it is a source because it's how I know God more, and it's how I know what He knows of me more. You know, that's one of the ways He reveals um, Himself to me, but also myself to me in terms of a person made in His image and what that looks like and how, you know, His purposes for me and His plans for my life and what He, um, he gifts me with by His Spirit and how He wants me to live. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff that I gain from that. But um, as you say, extroverted person, like quiet time. <laughs> but um, it, I'm, getting, I'm getting better at that because um, it feels like punishment. It's like, you have to sit alone for half an hour. <laughs> can I talk? Can I take a friend? Just one. Um, but, but I just remember. I just. I think it's important to remember that our that they don't relationship with other people and growing in relationship with God aren't two separate things. Like, and I think um, that like it's about orientation. It's about focus. And so for me, it was important, and it was actually really significant in my transition, kind of out of that unhealthy relational space was people who actually spoke God's truth to me and making sure I was seeking the company of people who were saying God things, you know, speaking God's words to me and pointing me to God. Like, so I think 
that, and that, that's a healthy relational ad. You know, that's, that's I'm, a, I'm kind of like, don't rely on me. I'm not, I'm not here to fill you, but I, I do want to be part of you being filled by God. Um, so I think don't see them necessarily as completely separate. I think they're, they're quite integrated, but it's about position. It's about orientation, about what you're focusing on. And so even as you're drawing from relationships, you're doing that like, thanks God for this person who's encouraging me. And I see this person, God, as your present to me today to get me through this next bit. Or, you know, I don't actually have to feel physically lonely because of what you're, you're bringing to me. But I'm not attaching myself to that. I'm still, it's all about, you know, it's about orientation, I think, and position. And naming that, the gratitude that that's God's gift into that. Yeah, it's good. They're really doing it, aren't they? <laughs> um, being here this morning, I'd just love for you to, to speak into... had a conversation with a congregational member. I don't really know what my question is at the moment, but okay. I'll try you to... Just, you go, you talk, and I'll then we'll I'll try to form a question, <laughs> but this morning, if you weren't here, please get online to our podcast or onto our website to hear this, The Myth and Miracle of Singleness. It was outstanding. Um, and so I had a conversation with a congregational member this morning about um, you being an extrovert... The majority, I would say, of singles I come across Mm -hmm. are not extroverts. They are introverts. And so I'm trying to form a question. How can you help us? How can we help? How can they help us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, help Understand. me help yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and I think it's a, it is a really important distinction. I think there's a challenge to being single extrovert is how much, um, like, as I mentioned today, like extrovert, introvert. Extrovert is um, solar powered. Introvert is battery powered. Right. So extrovert require, requires energy source from outside of themselves, an introvert can self-generate energy. It's not necessarily about social capacity, but sometimes it influences each other. But I think um, there's challenges for singles in who are either. So as an extrovert, my challenge is I'm so needy of other relationships and it takes me, it like, it sort of takes about a hundred normal people to power one Kimmy, you know, for like three minutes, I don't know. It's like there's a, there's a measurement, right? Um, but so I feel my loneliness or aloneness more acutely because not only does it, am I not relationally filled, but I'm just de-energized by my solitude, right? So that's my challenge. But for introverts, I think the opposite is true where there is a capacity to be so self-energized um, and to, to enjoy that aloneness that we're not forced out into relational spaces, and so we miss out, or not we, not me, you miss, you miss out on all of the things that relationship is meant to bring you, the refinement that those relationships are meant to bring, the blessing, the encouragement, the opportunity, the experiences, the expression of God's love, the ability to serve other people, the, the uh, capacity to be served and have your burdens carried by others, all of those things you can kind of, you feel like at least, you can do without them because you don't need the relational connection for energy building. So I think there's, an, there's a, a win and a loss on either side of that. And so as people on the outside of those, obviously extroverts are going to need a level of relational engagement um, that particularly if you are not an extrovert will seem weird, you know, in terms of the, the level of that. But on the other hand, your introverted friends, they may look like they don't need you, but they probably need you 
as much, if not more, you know, like they, because they're... Um, but what they will need is a rhythm of how those relationships happen that isn't so de-energizing that they, be, they become counterproductive in the sense that it's so hard for them to be constantly with all the people that the benefit of those relationships is not being felt. Does that sort of answer the question that you didn't ask? Yeah, that's good. We, I think we got there. That's good. I think we've got time for maybe one more. So if you've got one that's busting out. Ask it. Ask Last it. chance. Ask it. Steve's got one more in case no one else has. All right, go for Steve. Um, great explanation once again, uh, Kim, in regards to the, uh, the forms of love. Um, I just would love for you to just quickly tap into the Eros um, because of the age group that's in this room here tonight and what we have on these things right in front yeah. of us if we're not careful. And yeah. um, uh, once again, I'm trying to form a question, but I know you've yeah. spoken into that and you've spoken yeah. across Australia about pornography and things yeah. like that. And so are you able to help encourage us with, yeah. um, you know, with these kind of things? Yeah. Sarah? yeah. So God created us as sexual beings. So sexuality in and of itself is a beautiful thing. It's a gift. It's, um, it has a... Per and just the same as anything else in God's creation, when it's used the way he intended it to be used, it's a beautiful thing. So I think um, for, particularly for younger people who are sort of maybe on this side of looking at the, the possibility of future relationship, the, I think the better the picture is that we have of what God's intent is in that, the more we're able to orient our thinking and our behavior around it. So if we know that something is precious, for example, like if I was to you know, pick up a glass and throw it to you in, and say, this is worth $50,000, like you'd be like, whoa, I'm ready now, right? It would change how you, change how you position yourself for it, if, as opposed to this is plastic, don't worry, it's gonna, it can bounce, you know what I mean? So if we have a sense of how precious, how beautiful, how perfect, how, you know, all in God's plan, our sexual expression is, and we've, we've shaped that, you know, well, and, you know, using scripture and using, um, you know, how God would reveal our understanding of that, I think it then changes how we behave towards it. So for me, pornography becomes a thing that is just, it's repulsive when you hold it up in light of what God designs for our sexuality and for sexual expression. And so the better this looks to us, the more distasteful this becomes. Like there is nothing in pornography that even remotely reflects God's intent for sexuality. The, the degradation of people, the objectification, the violence, the lack of consent, the lack of intimacy, the lack of relational connection, personal engagement, all of the things that happen in, um, and just even the fact that we're watching it, it's not meant to be a spectator sport, it's not meant to have an audience, like everything about pornography is nothing like what God desires for a sexual expression. And so if you are tempted towards this idea that something in that is healthy or good or wholesome or even, you know, like, okay, then you need to dial up what this is. You know, um, Paul says, whatever is lovely and praiseworthy worthy and noble and, oh, you yeah, think of those things, you know, set your mind on things above. Like, he talks all the time about lifting our attention, and I think the, the more we're able to focus on the gift of that and God's intent for that, I think the more we'll distance ourselves um, from the perversion, you know, the distortion that is pornography. And there's just nothing to be said um, 
I mean, the, I think one of the clearest indicators that pornography is way offline in terms of what, it's, what you know, we're designed and, and meant for is that the secular science, secular education spheres, sociology, psychology, medical spheres are all saying now that this is bad. They're all saying that this is contributing to a whole lot of depravity and brokenness and, and a whole lot of um, dysfunction in our society. And, and they're people who aren't even orienting themselves around God's design. Well, they are. They just don't know that it's his. You know what I mean? Like, they don't... Shh. <laughs> They'll find out soon. It's going to be such a surprise for them when they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually a Christian. Um, <laughs> but but, the, um, but that's, I think that's a picture of how far off this is, is that even you know, the world, even the nor the, our normal culture is starting to reject this and say there's nothing good in this at all. So I think, yeah, orienting ourselves around that. Let me pray for you as we close.